Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. Story about a mission team from a local church in North Carolina who traveled to a now defunct leper colony on the Caribbean island of Trinidad and Tobago many years ago. The team, as you can imagine, met a lot of very sad patients afflicted with leprosy. One unforgettable experience they remember was a service that they conducted at the chapel. The lepers started trickling in and began taking their seats. The mission team got up and began leading them in hymns. It wasn't long before Jack, the pastor and the team, noticed one leper, a lady, on the back row who was facing the opposite direction. All the rest of the lepers were facing the front, except for her. Then Jack announced, we have time for one more hymn. Does anyone have a favorite? The lady in the back row turned around, and Jack said it was the most hideous sight he's ever seen in a human being. She had no nose or lips. Her head was almost like a skull. When she raised her arm in the air, she had no hand. It was just a knob. She replied to Jack, Do we sing? Count your blessings. Count your blessings. Jack and his team were stunned. Here was a lady you could argue was seemingly had nothing to be grateful for, and yet her favorite hymn was Count. Your blessings. At first, they struggled to sing, but eventually they did compose themselves and began singing, but they did not do it like they used to or since. Here are the words. And upon life's billows, you are tempest-tossed. When you're discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you to see what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. And then the refrain, count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. On this Good Friday, I'd like us to look at the topic of cultivating a grateful attitude by exploring a miracle story involving the healing of 10 lepers by Jesus. This story is unique. Luke's gospel, and it is found in chapter 17, verses 11 to 19. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed or they were healed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So Luke begins 
by reminding us once again, Jesus resolved in going to Jerusalem to take our sins upon himself on the cross in order to restore our damaged and broken relationship with God. On the way there, Jesus enters a village and he's met by 10 lepers. Jesus' reputation assures them that he's approachable. Now, it is worth noting that leprosy in the Bible is not necessarily equivalent to the disease we now call leprosy or Henson's disease. It included a wide range of skin diseases. In Leviticus 13 to 14, it's even identified with molds that affected clothing and housing. In a loud voice, they cried out, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. This was their cry for compassion. This was their cry for mercy. They're desperate to be healed because of their suffering. And there's, but their suffering was due in many cases not so much to the severity of the disease, but as to the way lepers were treated by society back then. They were ceremonially unclean to begin with, so they couldn't go to the temple to worship God like the others. Their sense of exclusion, rejection, and isolation were made worse by the possibility of their disease being contagious. And that is why they stood at a distance from Jesus, even though they knew Jesus was approachable. If they are to be reintegrated back into society, they would need complete healing. You see why the lepers were one of the outcast groups in Jesus' day, along with the tax collectors and sinners, the poor, the crippled, and the lame. But in Luke's gospel, these outcast groups were the special focus of Jesus' ministry. Jesus responds by telling them to show themselves to the priest according to the Old Testament command. See, priests back then had many responsibilities aside from spiritual ones. They were also volunteers for the CDC, the Center for Disease Control. They had the job of determining if someone had leprosy or other contagious diseases or otherwise. So before the 10 lepers could be accepted back into society, they required a clearance, a certificate, if you like, from the priest after a thorough examination. In other words, you wouldn't bother seeing the priest until you have been healed. So it was strange that Jesus told them to present themselves to the priest before they were healed. What was that about? It was a test of their faith. Will they trust Jesus? Will they make the trip to Jerusalem to see the priest even though they're not healed yet? And of course, we have the answer. By God's grace, they did. And they were healed, we're told, along the way. All 10 of them. Because of Jesus' mercy and compassion, these men were able to return to a normal life, reunited with their loved ones, and reintegrated back into society. Shockingly, shockingly, only one of the 10 lepers who were healed made time to return to Jesus to worship him and express heartfelt and exuberant thanks for this 
new lease on life. And more shockingly, this individual was a Samaritan, the implication being the other nine were Jewish. And just very quickly, I think most of you already know this, Jews have a great dislike toward the Samaritans, very intense dislike because the Samaritans for the Jews were racial half-breeds. They were spiritually inferior and inferior in so many other ways. That Jesus speaking from a Jewish perspective and calling the Samaritan a foreigner, a derisive term makes the point. It's like me being called a chink. You know, that foreigner. How come only that foreigner comes back to give thanks to God? See, the irony of Jesus' commendation of the Samaritan would not have been lost on the crowd who witnessed this. The Jews, the people, the Jews had written off, the outsiders, the rejects, God includes in Jesus' saving work. And in fact, they're more responsive to God than the Jews, the people of God, the ones who claim to know God. And the Samaritans, half-caste and, and nowhere close to God as the Jews, they're more responsive. We need to be reminded of this over and over again, don't we? That the people who least, whom we think, whom we have written of and think who are least likely to respond to God, they may surprise us. No one should be written off. In Jesus' final commendation of the Samaritan ex-leper, he tells him that his faith has made him well, or another translation, that saved him. That phrase is not referring to his physical healing and with it the end of social isolation, but his salvation, his powerful, authentic, life-changing experience of God that led him to put his faith in Jesus as his Messiah. But what's the deal with the other nine ex-lepers? We will address this later. But I still remember to this day my first plane trip on Singapore Airlines. I was probably around six or seven years old. My mom and I, together with my aunt and my cousin, were flying home to Kuala Lumpur from Singapore, uh, from the old airport, Paya Lebar. This is before it was relocated to Changi. It was only a 45-minute flight, but I loved every minute of it. The takeoff, the landing, and everything in between. I pushed every button that I could find. Before long, one of the air stewardess came and asked if I needed anything. I nervously said no before she promptly turned off the flight attendant call button. Ah, oopsie. Didn't know that that's what that button does. But the more I've flown, the more of the sense of novelty has worn off. I used to pay careful attention to the pre-flight safety instructions, but not anymore. So as not to get into trouble, I might give a cursory glance to the flight attendants as they do their thing. I'd say you're probably the same. Maybe not. But I also say the reason why we tune out is because we've heard it all before. We've heard it all before. The content is virtually the same. 
on every flight, and on every airline. There is no new information that we don't already know. What I'm hanging out to discover, on the other hand, is the content of the flight entertainment and the menu, things that I don't know. Are you like that, Ed? He flies a lot. Sadly, our approach to what is the most important week of the year for Christians, the week when we commemorate the crucifixion, the death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus, can be similar to our response to the pre-flight safety instructions. We've heard it all before. We've tuned out. There is no new information to process, is there? Yeah, Jesus died on the cross. Yeah, Isaiah 53. You might have even predicted what passages would be read this morning. Yes, I bet uh, whoever the song leader is, is going to quote from this passage in Isaiah 53. You can't beat that. Happens every Good Friday service. It's just all noise in the background of our lives. We're more interested in the barbecue after the service or the footy match tonight or the long weekend. The incomprehensible, the overwhelming, the inconceivable display of God's love through Jesus' selfless act on the cross on on Good Friday where he became literally a curse for our self righteousness and disobedience so that we can be fully reconciled to God as sons and daughters, has lost its shine on us. The level of gratitude for God, the level of gratitude for who he is and his goodness on the whole, not just Good Friday, is not at the level that we once experienced. It doesn't have to be this way. In fact, I would say, It's critical that it doesn't become like that for us. By God's grace, we can change starting today. We can cultivate with God's spirit a grateful gratitude like the ex-Samaritan leopard, a total opposite of the other nine lepers. I mean, I've looked at this. I don't know. I mean, have you read that? I think what? What important things did they have to attend to that they didn't come back to Jesus and give him thanks? Maybe they just got so excited they went to a local pub. Woohoo! And celebrated. I don't know. Why didn't they come back to thank Jesus? Now, Luke doesn't elaborate on this, doesn't give us any reason, so we don't need to speculate. And it also means that it mustn't be important in a storytelling. But what's important, though, is Luke wants us to see two things about the nine lepers, or the ex, the nine ex-lepers, I should say. There was simply no excuse for their lack of gratitude, none whatsoever, no excuse. And the second thing that I think Luke wants us to see is that their stunning lack of gratitude was ugly. When you read the story, does that strike you, that lack of gratitude? That they did not come back to Jesus and acknowledge and thank him for the miracle, for his compassion, for his mercy, for his kindness, 
Did that strike you? I think Luke wants us to see how ungratefulness is such an ugly trait. And we see this ungratefulness clearly in the history of the people of Israel. After God miraculously delivered them from Egypt. It didn't matter what God did for them. And, and you are familiar with the story in Exodus. You can read it in Deuteronomy, or not so much in Deuteronomy, but in Exodus and in Numbers. It didn't matter what God did with them. It was never good enough. The people of Israel would find something to be ungrateful about, to whinge about, to the point that they wanted their old life back as slaves in Egypt. In Exodus chapter 16, verses 2 to 3, Exactly a month, and I want to stress that, exactly a month after they left Egypt, have a listen to what they said to Moses and Aaron. Then the whole community of Israelites began complaining again. They complained to Moses and Aaron in the desert. They said, it would have been better if God had just left us alone back in Egypt. In contrast to life in the desert, it'd be better off he just left us alone or kill us altogether. At least back in Egypt, we had plenty to eat. We had all the food we needed, but now you've brought us out here into this desert to make us all die from hunger. Look at their description of life back in Egypt. It's a complete distortion of their reality. If life was so good, why did they leave to begin with? It wasn't good. It was horrible. But this is what ingratitude does. This is what ungratefulness does. It distorts reality. And it also distorts the reality of God. The people of Israel believed that God was withholding good from them. And that was their charge of God all of the time. He should have left us in Egypt. Now, we've got to be careful that we don't get self-righteous about this because we can be and have been exactly like the people of Israel. Have we not? Ungrateful, whinging, complaining about what we don't have rather than what we do have. It is very insightful reading the Apostle Paul's reflection on the phenomenon and the consequences of humanity's journey away from God in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 22. He says it begins, the departure from God begins first with the rejection of God's authority. In verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God. The next step is what? ingratitude. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to God. In other words, they were ungrateful. In other words, ingratitude is a serious sin and it is toxic to our relationship with God and with others. Have you been around a person who's constantly negative and ungrateful all of the time? What was that experience like? 
If your energy level is like the, like the phone battery, spending time with an ungrateful person who's negative all the time, the bars come down very quickly. But in contrast, when you spend time with a person who's grateful, your battery levels actually go up. Is that your experience? You just walk away from people like that and you go, it's been wonderful spending time with that person. This person oozes gratitude, oozes gratefulness. If ingratitude is a sin, then gratitude is a virtue. Not only that, but numerous studies in the past decade or so have consistently shown that people who are grateful, people who consciously, deliberately, intentionally count their blessings tend to be happier and less depressed. In one research I read, which involves interviewing and, 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 uh, and processing 300 adults, researching the research that involved 300 adults, mostly college students who were seeking mental health counseling at a university for issues related to depression and anxiety. The research reported that the practice of gratitude, such as writing letters of gratitude, in addition, in addition to receiving counseling, yielded greater benefits than counseling alone, even when the practice of gratitude was brief. Did you hear that? The research reported that people who had counseling plus practice of gratitude, they, they, they got into the practice of gratitude, that yielded higher results. How gratitude, digging, digging deeper into their results, while not definitive, the researchers listed four insights into gratitude psychological benefits. Number one, gratitude unshackles us from toxic emotions. Number two, gratitude helps even if you don't share it. What they're saying is if you're thinking of writing a letter of gratitude to someone, but you're unsure of whether you want that person to read it, Write the letter anyway, because it has inherent benefits. Number three, the, pra- the benefits of the practice of gratitude take time. You won't see the results. You won't see the benefits instantly. But you've got to keep at it and keep at it and keep at it. Through M- Number four, through MRI scans to measure brain activity, they, fi- they found that gratitude has lasting effects on the brain. This is scientific stuff. It's not just the word of God saying that gratitude is a virtue and it's a trait that we must all cultivate. In closing, let me quote uh, Brian Robinson from his article, The Power of Gratitude. He writes, the best way to reach contentment is to want and feel grateful for what you already have. When you take a breath and step back, your heartfelt thankfulness for your blessings slows you down and fills you up. This is a time to count your blessings. All the things you might have overlooked, forgotten, or taken for granted. Instead of complaining about what you still need.
Brothers and sisters, let us be a people of gratitude, exemplified by the Samaritan ex-leper and the lady that we started off the sermon with, the, the, the lady, the leprous lady from the nation of Trinidad and Tobago. It is not, not a stretch to say that of all peoples on the face of the earth, Christians have the most to be thankful for. Starting with the free gift of salvation that God has given us through Jesus Christ, his son, freely, who freely and lovingly lay down his life for us on Good Friday. You agree with that? The Christians, compared to all peoples on the face of the earth, ought to be the most grateful people. Here's the application of the message to consider before we have the Lord's Supper together, which Ed will lead us. Number one, write a letter of gratitude to God, thanking him afresh for Good Friday. C.S. Lewis wrote, it costs God nothing so far as we know to create nice things, but to convert rebellious wills cost him crucifixion. But don't stop there. Reflect on when and where God has displayed his goodness, his grace, his mercy, his favor and kindness to you. And like the Samaritan ex-leper, in response, throw yourself at the foot of Jesus and worship him and praise him. Would you consider doing that maybe today or at least this week? Write your letter of gratitude to God. Secondly, write a letter or letters of gratitude to people God puts on your heart, to people that you know you should be expressing gratefulness to. And these individuals, by the way, can include the deceased, people you didn't have the opportunity to thank when they were alive. You can thank them by writing a letter because it's more about cultivating in you a grateful heart. Yeah? Let's pray. This morning, Father, we want to say we're sorry because we have responded to your acts of kindness, love, mercy, grace, goodness, like the nine ex-lepers. We receive our answer to prayer, and the moment, that moment is followed by forgetfulness. That moment is followed by a lack of gratitude. It's about time, Lord. I prayed for this for such a long time. Why did you take so long? Why has it taken so long? So not only, Lord, have we responded by being ungrateful, we've responded by complaining. Yes, you've answered our prayer, but you have taken just too long. Lord, we say sorry to you this morning for being ungrateful, for being complainers, for being whingers. Sorry for behaving like the people of Israel that we read about in Exodus and in Numbers. 
But today we want to be different. We repent and we say we want to be different. We want to be more grateful. We want to be like the ex-Samaritan lepers. The first thing on his mind was to come back and say thank you, not complain why he was a leper to begin with, but just grateful, incredibly touched, incredibly moved by your act of mercy and compassion. Lord, I pray that we will be like the ex-lepers in our posture. By your spirit, we ask that you'll cultivate in us a more grateful heart that we will look for things to bless you with our lips. Look, look for, for things to worship you for, to, to, to thank you for. Not look for reasons why we should not thank you and acknowledge you. Let it begin with this Good Friday. And let it begin with your selfless act on Good Friday. which you paid a debt that we could not pay, a debt that you did not accrue, but you paid it. Uh, for our sake and on our behalf. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you for that. We're grateful for what you've done. We're grateful for you, Jesus. Come by your spirit now as we commemorate your death on the cross through communion. Something again that we have done on many, many occasions, but I pray that the act of receiving the bread and the cup, the act of eating the bread and drinking from the cup, I pray that you will give us a fresh perspective, a renewed gratitude for what you've done for us on the cross. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.